The history of hardcore. You know, it's all about the history. The history of hardcore podcast. The history of hardcore podcast. Okay, so welcome to part three of history of hardcore podcast. We are, as you can see, in the house today with our very special guest, the man like DJ Pilgrim, Midlands Mixmaster, Paul. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's been a historical day. Yeah, as well. It's been ages since I've seen you as well. I'm just mean it's historical. Six of May, 2023, and Prince Charles has been also his uh, coronation. So. Who? Oh yeah, your friend. I know. Won't get Who's that? that? Prince Charles. Who's he? Well, King Charles. He's new. No, we'll leave that. We're not. Go- we're not. We're not going to uh, what. What. Uh, what well, yeah, it's my a historic day, anyway. It is, mate. It's a historic day because we're sat here together, that was it, and we're going to talk a little music. We're going to talk a little graffiti. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about everything, basically. So we're going to do a lot of talking. Yeah, we normally do though, don't we? Yeah, we, do. <laughs> we do normally, there's food involved. There's normally, well, we've already eaten, so there was food involved. Yeah, just already. So let, let's start at the beginning of your journey um, on the planet Earth, basically. Where are you from, Paul? So um, I am from Wolverhampton. Okay, it's Wolverhampton, beautiful place. Lived there myself for a while on the glorious Whitmore Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm very familiar with it. Tell me a little bit about your childhood, about growing up. Well, um, you know, the life that you live. What kind of life did you have as a child? I mean, we are going back here then. Yeah, uh, mate, we're digging deep. We're going way deep, back. Deep, deep. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. I was born, 1970. Right. We won't go into the details of how that happened. Yeah. Um, Immaculate conception. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I was, uh, I've got a sister. Uh, unfortunately, my mother and father are no longer with us. Rest in peace. Um, my dad's from Barbados, so, Bayesian. Uh, um, yeah, growing up, I, I suppose I was a quiet kid, believe it or not. Um, I was well into my football, and over the years I got into music. So probably, well, quickly, what happened with the football? Football. Yeah. You were into football, but you don't know a big football fan now. I, was, yeah, I, 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 I know that. Like, I mean, every time I talk football, yeah. you switch conversation. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a passionate football person. I used to be because I think as a kid, it was like kind of what you get into. Were you there was like world of sport now. Liverpool. Liverpool? Yeah. I suppose I was a glory hunter back then. That makes sense. It was like the uh, Emlyn Hughes era, Kenny Daglish, John Barnes, Phil Thompson, Phil Neal. The golden golden era for Liverpool, that wasn't it? Yeah. So about 1977, that kind of time. But as a kid, I used to play out in the back garden on my own, kicking a football up the wall, pretending that I was a goalie, then I was pretending I was a striker. So, um, yeah, I was big into football, I had my sticker albums and everything, and then... I think I got into music because breakdancing became very popular and took over all the schools. Um, I was never a breaker, so that's why I went into did the art side of things. Yeah, I did. Uh, not more, not more like a bull in a china shop yeah. than, a, than a breakdancer. A bit of a backspin. I could yeah. do some footwork. I could never headspin. I could never windmill. So, yeah. My, uh, <laughs> my career as a breaker was like, uh, very short-lived. Yeah. So yeah, I was into music, I loved hip-hop, and I think my passion for that then took over football, okay. so I kind of dwindled out of football, really. And did, did you find that the, the, the street art and graffiti side of things sort of distracted you when you went into music, away from football? And Well, 
that would have been, I would have said that I started to get more into like the art side of things probably about 1984, 85. Right. Okay. So there was a couple of people who I hung out with at school who were, we were like breaking together and we were into the music and yeah. we were watching films like Beat Street and then obviously the art side of that was appealing to me and right. I was practicing and practicing and then I started to do that more. So I was listening to the music, but then I think the art side of things took over more. And then about 85, 86, I kind of left school and uh, became a full-time tagger. <laughs> but yeah, but, um, we could say you're pretty creative and good with your hands, couldn't we? Yeah. Let's be honest. I, I, to watch you DJing or whether it's to watch you, you know, doing street art, graffiti, um, as I've just stood out the back of, of, of the shop here and watched you, 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 you've got it down to a T, you make it look easy. And the same with your mixing, when you watch your mixing, you make it look easy. Um, so from an outsider's perspective, your hands are your yeah, tools. They are and actually, I mean, I've always, I suppose I've always been in uh, a role where I used to be a painter and decorator when I yeah. left school. So I suppose, yeah, you could say I've been good with my hands. Joe, is he good with his hands? <laughs> Glad you said that because I've never been Sorry, I do apologise for dropping that in there, but I had to. Okay. I couldn't let that opportunity pass. Just for the people at home, Joe's my wife. Joe is his wife. <laughs> his beautiful wife. Yes, my, my gorgeous <laughs> wife. She can talk as well. Make a right pair between them. <laughs> Perfect company. So, what age were you when you finally discovered dance music? <laughs> I would say I was probably about mm, 19. So you're already, you're 18, you're already grabbing and tagging at that stage. Yeah, so I got more into music because about 1988 I got done for uh, tagging. So uh, <laughs> at that point I kind of got all my stuff confiscated yeah. and my parents weren't happy at all. So I was kind of forced to give up uh, pursuing my... Uh, street art tagging graffiti um, era and then I got more into the music then and I think back then there was a club in Wolverhampton called the Lord Raglan mm -hmm. with hip-hop it was never really um, it was never really a big dancing yeah it was more like bedroom music yeah. so lots of people were into hip-hop but listened to it in their bedroom and there weren't many clubs that featured it so there was this one club in Wolverhampton called the Lord Raglan on a Wednesday and there was a handful of us who used to go there because they used to play a very small selection of hip-hop throughout the night. Right. And we just stood there like moody people while like the rave was on and chuntering away, what's this yeah. rubbish. But then, honestly, the more weeks you go, there's certain tunes that stand out and you get used to them. And then next thing you know, we're dancing to those tunes. So I started to become more accustomed to like rave music as people classed it then or yeah. hardcore as it, was, or, as it was breaking through yeah. and finding its feet so I suppose really for me um, yeah I'd say about 80 about 88 is so when I started the, to uh, right at the beginning really yeah. when the acid house was kicking about and breaking through yeah okay so your first rave first rave I went to first rave you went to and was it as a DJ or was it as a raver? It was as a raver. So okay. I used to go to the Eclipse, the Edge, quite a bit mm -hmm. as a raver and as a DJ. Um, I went to raves like Do It at the Zoo in Birmingham. Right. We used to go to Time, 
Spectrum, um, Nemesis in Leicester, uh, we went to Perceptions, so they were probably coming up more to like 1991. 91, yeah, we were, uh, this is Robbie, Robbie D was in early and we were talking about Perception quite mm. a bit as well. Um, he was saying how his, uh, how did he describe it as lightning in a bottle? It was that, that good when it when it kicked in. Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. I mean, I went there as a punter, although I was kind of DJing then, or trying to break onto mm -hmm. the scene, I wasn't there performing, but I went there as like a punter, and yeah, there was like a big crowd there, but I remember I went back to the car because the last set of the night was Sasha, and I never did his music. Bit, Never a bit slow for you, a bit mechanical. Or? He was too too mellow for me. Too mellow. Yeah. He, he was always on the mellow end of the spectrum. Yeah. To be honest, it was very rare that you really would see Sasha on a mainstream sort of hardcore flow. You know, he was more edging on that house tip from the beginning. And obviously, it's worked for him because of where he is today. The early Eclipse stuff, though, he, he was on those events regular. Mm -hmm. And you know, you had the likes and of big big love as well, didn't he? Doc Scott, Dubbo, um, Groove Rider. So he was up there with those names, yeah. Carl Cox. Like if you look back at some of the very early, like kind of Eclipse flyers, the first ever ones. But yeah, he, he was he was performing there because I think then there was no barriers. There was, was no. He was at Shelley's as well at the same sort of time. Yeah, wasn't he? so but yeah, because they, you had Amnesia who yeah. were doing like uh, nights at Shelley's. That's right. And they used to have Sasha on as well. He said they're right for himself, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Made a couple of good decisions. A couple of good decisions. So what, what, what standout rave is there for you? What's the most, of all the events that you've played at, which one would you say stands out most? Has the fondest memories for you? Uh, Just one. Uh, there can only be one. Obi Kenobi. Mm. Sorry, Pilgrim. Just two, actually. Cut the three. But you want one, so. Just one. Uh, Cornetto. Um, <laughs> Sorry. My favourite flavour of Cornetto's SM58 flavour. <laughs> I would say the one that sticks out the most to me is uh, Fantasia, Castle Donington. Castle, I had a feeling you were going to say that. Yeah. It's, it, as far as I know, it's like it's definitely the biggest, the biggest one that I've performed at. Yeah, I mean, it was a big event. They did say that there was like, I think initially there was meant to be like 21,000, 25. I can tell you it was 32,000. People said that there was more because there was a lot of people who got in unofficially. Over the fence. Mm. Um, and I know for a fact that there was more tickets than I sold for it. But for me, it was like, I always remember that I got the midnight set and they had like a drawbridge on the stage. Yeah. And as it dropped down, I just saw the crowds and it just went for like it's about it looked like miles and then it dipped up at the back. Sitting all the footage for it, it looked absolutely mental. Yeah. And who was emceeing your set that night? Uh, you remember? No. No? No. No? God. Your memory's getting worse yeah. than mine, mate. Your memory's getting worse than mine. We are going back 30, 30 years ago though. A little while ago. Um I can't remember if it was Lenny or Basement. Oh, no, they were on Ramsey's. Possibly Lenny. Yeah. Oh, I, I know they were there. It's funny actually because I was listening to a tape the other day. Uh, well, tape. A CD. And it was like an old basement set. And his lyrics like back there. They've changed, haven't they? So yeah, compared to what they are now. It's funny because like, two days ago I found, I think just out of chance I was going through it, I found a loose Quest CD, just one CD. Mm. Um, 
it was weird after going to Quest last weekend as well, just to find the one CD, and um, it's got Basement on it, and it's, it's, it's absolutely banging set. It's ruthless, but his style was different. Yeah. And I just love that old Basement style, uh, and it worked well. Yeah, definitely. Changed a bit That's over the years. Every MC, those you know, got their own unique style that they bring. Of course they have. Of course they have. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. But it's weird how he was back then to how he is now. Yeah. Is it his style? Yeah, cause like you know the journey that he's took as well, and like you know the, I suppose the, what's the word I'm looking for, the, the, the everyone looks up to him now for the lyrics that he drops and his style, and for how he was back then, you'd have never thought that that person would have got to that to, to reach where they, yeah, where, they have. where he is now. Yeah. And again, like you say, it's unique. Everyone has their own way and has their own style. It's unique and it works. Mm -hmm. It works for him, that's for sure. So going back quick, quickly to um, the graffiti side of things. Yeah. Um, going back to, to when you were talking, sort of late eighties or the eighties, early nineties, and it was actually classed as vandalism. Yeah. It was frowned upon. It was something like you know if you got caught tagging or you or you graffiti, it was classed as vandalism. Something you get prosecuted for. Whereas now, in this day and age, it's, it's actually accepted and it's called street it art. Yeah, yeah. Um, so where people like yourself who have got the talents are given spaces where they can go and use that creativity and put it to use. Uh, for example, the tunnel we drove through in Wolverhampton last week, which has got your work wall to wall all the way through it. Mm -hmm. um, whereas back in the 80s, that, that wouldn't happen. You'd never get commissioned to be able to do that artwork. Not a chance. So what would you think made that perception change with people? I think, obviously, uh, media, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, nowadays, in the society that we live in, you know, you've got all sorts of media available to everyone. Yeah. And things have just become a lot more acceptable. Totally. I think people now can see the artwork for what it really is, and it is talent. I know many people who do it, and they're very talented people. And I think a lot of places now recognise that, because, you know, you've got shops who want their shutters doing, they want the side of the wall doing. Gyms that want their walls doing. Yeah, whereas like, <laughs> in the 80s, you've got no chance. You'd be hard bedrooms, but, you know, You'd be lucky if you had someone who would let you do their bedroom. I think, back in the day, I think, you know, not that I'm experienced that, but you would struggle to find somewhere to actually yeah. display your talents and actually to put them up. Whereas you'd in have to walk about got... in the middle of the night and, you know, yeah. do like a wall on the side of a like, train line. Night, night creeping. Or, yeah, or you'd like do a subway or you'd do like the side of a, a wall where there's going to be like traffic passing by. Yeah. That's how it was back then. You, you see bits appear and then the next day there'd be a bit more done or... Yeah. Yeah, because you'd do it in stages because... You know, you, reduces you could, the risk of getting caught. You could get about twenty minutes into it, and and you hear something, so you, off you, you go. You do one, times. and then you come back another time to finish it off. Yeah. Um, I always remember that there was one that I did about eighty-seven, and it was right on just as you're coming out of Wolverhampton train station. And I remember I went to it the one night, emulsioned up the wall, and I went back to it the next night. And then I put my outline on, started yeah. like filling in with the colours, and I had some noises, and I just scarpered. But where it was, literally, I was probably about, I'd have said, 50 feet from the yeah. actual train station. Did it get completed? Uh, it looked completed, so it looked completed. I was happy yeah. with that. And the funny thing is, you, you come out the train station now, and you can still see some remnants some of parts it. Parts of it. Yeah. Madness. Yeah. I have to start. Right, Sorry, guys. Okay, so... 
I'm going to move on to uh, a brand that you are usually associated with. You're one of the original DJs um, from when Gerald and Carl were, were running Quest um, back in the day. Um, Quest being in your hometown of Wolverhampton, you're on the doorstep club. Mm -hmm. um, you've got a lot of history there, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Can you, can I mean, you just tell me where that journey with Quest started? And, you know, and yeah. I, I've also been asked to ask you what your favourite Quest night in particular was, and I can imagine that's pretty hard for you to actually remember back because I'm sure there's many, many nights that are memorable for you. But into the journey, Quest. Okay. So um, yeah, Quest it started in September 1991. Yeah. Uh, the opening night there was myself, uh, Rap, Top Buzz, and it was basically to test the water and see how it would actually go down and it went down really well so quickly off the back of that many, a few more many nights. people at the first one yeah it was busy it was busy yeah so it was it was from the start it, it was yeah i mean the venue as well palomas where small, it was held no it wasn't small it was, no. it was i never, never went in but i always got the, the impressions it was sort of Five six hundred was it? Was it bigger? I can't remember the exact amount, but I know that there's probably a couple of times they're packed in. Probably I'd say nine hundred. because you could get a lot of yeah, people yeah, in yeah. there because like it was a big open space. Because you went up the stairs and it was just like an open. It was more like a, a room. function room. Function room. I mean, they use it now as I think it's Riley's. It's a pool or cool. But um, yeah, I mean, for a nine till two club, it. Had a lot of stuff that a lot of all nighters never had. Yeah, you'd have lasers there. You had like um, the robots there. You had Prodigy yeah. perform there. So um, it's crazy to think how Prodigy used to perform at places like Kinetic, Leisure Bowl, and Quest, and then yeah. they got on to performing in front of hundreds. Well, went on to performing in front of hundreds of thousands or millions of people worldwide. Just like nuts from small clubs to international stadiums. Yeah, but it, it's weird. I mean. I always remember that there was me and a few of my mates, we were like going to clubs and we were actually thinking about putting on a night ourselves and we went to the Dorchester in Wolverhampton, which was a similar venue to the Eclipse. It looked very similar, like you had a dance floor, you had a balcony that went around yep. the top, a little DJ booth. So I remember there's myself, Boogie, Ronnie, Dave Crumpton, there was a few of us. We, we went to have a look at these clubs on the basis that we were going to put a night on and then we approached Picasso's. Right. And I remember that we had a meeting with Carl and Jess, and they explained that they wanted to do something, and we talked about me DJing at the event. Right. So coming on board so, as, a, as a sort of resident DJ. So that's how it started, basically. Right. Okay. The opening night came, I was on there, got rap and top buzz, top buzz. and the rest is history. Yeah. There was a. Um very historical brand, um, it's synonymous with the race scene across the UK, but I know the artists that perform there, if you look back at some of the flyers, some of the lineups were absolutely nuts yeah. for, for the size of the club. Oh, definitely, so. yeah, like I say, for a 9 or 2 club, I mean, if you look at some of the flyers from like 92, 93, even 94, you've got like four, maybe five headline DJs on one night. Two of the other residents at Quest with you, Scarlet was resident MC, I yeah, think. Yeah, you've got MC Joker, so you've got Ned Ryder, yeah, you've got Ammo. Uh, you've got Boogie was someone that played a couple of times at the very early stages. Yeah. Um, <coughs> you've got uh, 
There was a lad called Trips. Uh, the DJ Kid, who played a few times. Yeah, for Scotland. Uh, Ratty, you could say he was a resident because yeah. there was a lot of times that he would come down and same with myself, there'd be nights where we'd go there. Bring records with you anyway. Yeah, we'd take our records, yeah. even though we weren't on, hoping someone would turn, that, wouldn't turn yeah, that, up. Yeah, that, that, was, that was standard practice back then. Yeah, that's how yeah. a lot of DJs got booking, take your records with you. If somebody did turn was up, right, jump on. It was that good a club that a lot of people came just for a night out. Or they were happy to play there what more or less every week. It's like Jason and Patrick, they were there. Re they were regulars because they enjoyed the club and they they were like basically almost like a local. Yeah. But they knew everyone and people accepted them. And it was one of those things. Same with Ratty as well. Uh, Tango. Uh, a lot of people fall out would come up there regular. Yeah. So it was like a night out as well as like you know being there to perform too. Yeah. Bit of a, a social for for artists as yeah, well as the regulars, yeah. which is nice. Wicked. Okay. Right. Um, coming to more recent. You've recently stopped playing out. Yeah. Can I ask the reason why? I think I know the reason why, but can can we discuss this and tell the people yeah, why? Yeah, I mean, me personally, I think you had like the rave scene kind of come back round again, and you had it branded as old school and I think for many years now a lot of the music uh, that, that's been played out in the clubs it just got repetitive and it's for me I always like to dig deep I was never an anthem killer no, you weren't and you always, you always look, look look deep into that massive box of yeah, records I, I weren't the person who would take just one record bag that would have probably about 15 records in there to do an hour to play a planned set I would have maybe a record box, two bags. I'd go with a big selection, because the thing is, you play a tune and it doesn't go down well, you need to take that off quick to yeah. put something else on. Especially if you've only got one style with you. Yeah. If, you're pla if you've got a plan set, and it's going to it's up, basically, you've got to stick with that. You know as well as I do, what you can play in one <laughs> club, a crowd will go nuts for, you play it in another club and it can clear the dance floor. Yeah. So, yeah, you definitely have to have yeah. that ammunition with you. Especially playing up and down the country, because styles differ so much from like the north definitely. to the south, definitely. to the west coast. And you always found that the further north you went, the more sort of happy or hardcore or piano it yeah. went, and the further south you went, it tended to get darker as it went down south. But, yeah, yeah again, that made it interesting, because then with artists coming from London to the Midlands and vice versa, the Midlands to London or Manchester, it just brought all those different styles together at, at the events, which helps to what helped create our history that we have with uh, rave music. Mm -hmm. so. But um, yeah, so for me, like I say, I was never really into anthems. So over time, I just found that you know you put something on a rare track, and it would clear a dance floor yeah. because a lot of the people who were going to events, they were just like they just wanted to hear the same old, same old, and it's like. You, your train spotters, your anoraks who knew their music had been forced away from the yeah. clubs because those people were like yeah, they don't want to hear the commercial yeah, stuff they don't want to hear the commercial stuff over and over again and you know it's understandable so for me I suppose I kind of I, I think some, some DJs have a fear I think of playing something different as well because yeah. of that reaction because of people and I don't think you ever particularly um, did that do you know what I mean I think you always played to the crowd rather than playing what you wanted yeah. to play all the time. Well, you know? that's what it was about for me yeah. because at the end of the day, the crowd 
you're there for the crowd because at the end of the day they're supporting you and you've got to play for them yes, because if totally. you start playing for yourself and people walk off the dance floor and then you know word goes around uh, it weren't that good yeah no one's going to be interested in wanting to listen to you again fair play but yeah for me it got to a point where I just felt the the buzz wasn't there for me anymore and playing the same old tunes and I noticed the the events they just didn't it's, it's as if people were going through the motions yeah. and a lot of the clubs just seem to not have that buzz anymore. And for me, I just thought the you know... You lost the oomph. Uh, yeah, I'd say when Covid hit and then we came out of Covid, I think one of the first ever nights that was on, there was a big uh, night over in Birmingham and for the reputation that it had and for the DJs that were on the lineup. That should have like basically sold out ten times over, but it didn't. And on the night as well, the vibe there was just non-existent. Yeah. And for me, that just summed it all up. The time to call it a Enough. day. So yeah, for me, that was like basically the last one. At the end of the day, what I look at it is if you're not playing with passion, or me as an MC, if I'm not MCing with passion, I know I'm not going to be delivering my best. Yeah. And I don't want to be, and I'm sure you don't want to be out there performing without having your heart in it and not giving the people the best version of you that's possible. Yeah, exactly. And that was why, for me, I thought, you know, I could carry on going through the motions, playing to places, but for me, I, I always put my heart and soul into things. Yeah. I always make sure that I take pride in doing a good job. And that's why, for me, I just thought, I can't do it anymore. Because there's no point in me delivering like half a set when my heart's not in it. Because it's not fair to the public who are paying good money. No. Fair play to you, mate. And I know that, you know, I've done... I know, yes, I've said that I've retired and I know that I've probably done the odd set here and there and people go, oh, has he really retired? But I have. Done. Yeah. I mean, done. yes, I have done the odd party, but that's more probably because of, you know... He's officially retired. We'll never play again until I blag him into playing for me next time. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any particular... Standout, like funny moment that's ever happened when you well, I'm sure there's many, but any particular funny standout moment? I think the main one that I can remember off the top of my head was a uh, pandemonium JJ's in Willingall. Yeah, Mr. B's. Yeah, I'm DJing, so I was playing vinyl back then because that's what it was, and a guy leant over to ask me um, to play something. But as he did, he knocked a drink over, and I just remember seeing this drink just go all over the record, and then the needle just caught the drink, and then, just, and then the needle just shot off, and then there was silence. But then everyone was looking at me, as if, like, saying, what have you done? and I'm there looking at this guy. You're like, what, what the fuck? Slight technical fault. MC's like, <laughs> I was there checking my vinyl to try and get up the, the drink it, it, inside of your t-shirt, shimmy yeah. it down. But, um, yeah, that's one that sticks in, in my mind. Did, did he apologise? I, I honestly can't remember. No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I really don't know. He probably did at the time, but obviously with like all those people yeah. like looking at you and you're like panicking and trying to get music back on, he probably just went over my head. So what other clubs did you enjoy playing at? What other clubs were good for you? Like, Kinetic? 
Yeah. You know, she played around a lot, Milwaukee's. Yeah, there's, there's lots. I mean, yeah, Milwaukee's, Bedford, I played there. Um, Hern Bay, there's G one there. Gutted I never went to Milwaukee's. It's one, one place that I'm devastated that I never yeah, went it to. A, it, was a, it was a mad club. Um, Stearns, Worthing, that was Yeah, that's my hometown, Worthing, anyway. Um, House on the Hill. That was a wicked venue. And Hern, Hern Bay, was it, what was there? Winter Gardens or something? No, I played at a big event there. Uh, what was it called now? I can't remember. There used to be a few uh, down that way, didn't there? Margate. There was a few, yeah. Um, I even played at AWOL once. Oh, okay. um, the club. I club? never played there once. I was on early. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Um, Labyrinth played there quite a few times. Yeah. That was quite That's a good job. club. Uh, Double dipped in Bagley's. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's quite a good night as well. That that was that was when I was living down in London around that time. It was like ninety eight. Yeah, it's an amazing venue. Um, that was a, just like the name. That was a labyrinth in itself going into yeah. into uh, Bagley's because it just sort of you went through one room into another into another into another. It was like we go on corridor. I'm trying to think what of us. Um, because you've only used to play that a lot, didn't you? Vibolite, Gary? Venue 44, yeah, I was going to say Vibolite. You're very popular at Vibolite. Pleasure Dome, yeah, Gary. I've played there quite a few times, yeah. He's got a moment as well, bless his soul. Yeah. Nottingham played... I mean, I've played plenty places. There's just too many to mention. Wicker Archer, Sheffield. Yes, that was a good little venue as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rising, you played for quite a lot as well, didn't you? Yeah, Brian yeah, Paul and Brian. Yeah. It's funny, Paul actually dropped in about four or five weeks ago. He was uh, working with the lad in Stoke. I just looked out the ring and it was Paul Lowe walking over oh, the road. Nice. And like, ah. So it was nice to see him. Yeah. He's just done a podcast as well. So That's it. Yeah, I'm going to have to have a watch of that because uh, he's an interesting guy, Paul. He's got a good, good background, good story, and I think Uprising as well. They're a quality brand that have been around yeah. for a long time. I think when I was playing there, because. Obviously, over the years, my style of music changed. So, Quest was like kind of hardcore, but then Jung because jungly. music started to change, it got more dark, jungly, breakbeats. You, you went a bit more down the, the hardcore, happy yeah, hardcore I went, side. Yeah, I went more you? down the happy hardcore side because for me, it's like the crowds were more, the music was more uplifting, it seemed a friendly. Just a better vibe. Yeah, a better vibe. And I think that we were at that stage in the. In the club scene where you started to get the moody heads coming in yeah. and that, that element was never really required or needed yeah. but it, I think it was always going to creep in eventually especially with the sort of jungle drum and bass element yeah. rather than the happy hardcore and I think that sort of 95 when it did split really sort of split didn't it yeah. your hardcore went totally one way and your jungle broke off and you lost that sort of breakbeat element where there was a crossover it yeah. did really split itself yeah because if you listen back to I mean for example like my Dance Nation set that was 92 but um, yes what it was, was like uh, now the one that was at um, Teston Park the telephone one. telephone yeah yes. I was asked a question about this earlier uh, Marky Taylor um, do you remember a Michael Jackson lookalike or apparently coming on the stage and, and dancing on the stage? He said, did that happen or was it the drugs? No, it did really happen. It did really there happen. There was someone that came on. I, I don't know what the relevance was behind it, but yeah, there was a Michael Jackson lookalike that came on the stage. Some people said it was Robbie D. I don't know. But... Um, yeah. I should have asked him before. <laughs> I should have asked Robbie that question as well. I'm going to phone him after and find yeah. out now. But, um, yeah, that was something where you listen back to that set 
and you'll hear that there are tunes from 92 that you could probably say that was more like happy hardcore because you've got the yeah. breakbeats in, you've got vocals, yeah. you've got pianos. And I played quite a mix. Do you, do you have a favourite tune? Mm. Can anyone stand out tune you go, bam, that. Yeah, Cyanide 45, notice me. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. People, if they've heard that track and they know that track, they know that song's milk because I used to play that all the time. So that epitomises yeah. Mr. Bill Room. Mm -hmm. Perfect, perfect. Okay. Uh, we were talking the other week as well, we were sort of coming out of the moody element that we were just mentioning. We were talking last weekend when we were, we were out and about, uh, about was it the Mercier Leisure Centre? It's funny because yeah. this week I was going through some flyers and I actually picked out that flyer for the Mercier Leisure Centre and as I saw it, it reminded me of our conversation. Yeah. Um, and I thought, maybe something to discuss today we'll talk about the moody element of things happening in the club so, tell, tell me about that night it's yeah, like it was a bit say, interesting that's one of my worst memories of <laughs> uh, rave of a club yeah so I can't remember the guy's name I can't remember the promoter but I remember I got booked for a night at West Mercia Mercia Leisure Centre that, that was, was it, it. Yeah. in Coventry and Played on the nights, it was busy in there, all was going good. Then, waiting the forum bit in the corridor for the promoter, end of the night, come and pay me. Outside, all hell breaks loose, kicks off, all these vans turn up, and there's all these lads that get out, baseball bats, chains, and there's like a mad riot going on outside the front of the venue. And I remember one of the guys who worked with the promoter saying, you need to go, go out the back door. You're like, I want my money, they're going, go. <laughs> no, when I saw what was going on out the front, I thought, yeah, forget my money. I just went out the back door. Bounce. Yeah, we just went. Because as we drove off, we could see people like proper getting like done over. I mean, I don't know to this day what was going on there, but something serious was going on. Because like I say, people were proper like tooled up. They'd got chains, bats, the would of vans. I don't know if it was like... Um, Rivalry between yeah, like certain sounds, areas of Coventry, or like whether it. it was like a Birmingham Coventry thing. But I remember afterwards trying to get hold of the promoter to get my money, yeah. and I, I could never ne get hold of it. Needless to say, that one you didn't get paid for. Nope. So um, if you know who you are, you still owe me some money. But uh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's like my worst one really that I can think of. But like I say, I mean, on the night the, in there. The vibe was, was good, it was just outside. But yeah, that always sticks with me, that does uh, Mercia Leisure Centre. I think that may have been about back end of 92, could have been 93. Yeah, but yeah. Like, sounds like fun. Yeah. Someone out there would know the, the event, because someone would yeah. have gone. I say I found a flyer for an event there the other day, it's probably a completely different event, but... Yeah. Mad. But yeah, I think I have played some dodgy clubs. If you owe Paul some money from 1992, 1993, if you don't pay it back, I'm going to come round your house and you've had it, son. All right? Cough up. I think the interest over the years as well would be quite substantial. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, yeah, I think, with my feet as well, mate, my little cup for retrieving, we'd do all right, eh? Yeah. Like bathing services. <laughs> right, okay, I'm going to um, run a, a few quick fire questions at you. Okay. Uh, I think with yourself, like most people, I think it's probably going to take more than one sitting to get through or scratch the surface because your story is deep, 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 deep. Um, before I ask you the quickfire questions, we have here behind us this absolutely fantastic book. And I know it's fantastic because I have a copy myself at home. Uh, and it is a, a proper 
quality book. It's not a flimsy paperback. It is a solid, ram-packed. You wouldn't want to drop it on your toe, put it that way. It's a heavy, hardcore book, and it's packed to pack with glossy quality pages. I'm not just saying that because he's been made. I'm saying it because he has put together a quality package. If you're into your 80s street art, graffiti, vandalism, whatever you want to call it, I'll call it street art. It's called Oh So Cool. Um, it's 80s UK graffiti, compilated by Paul and Stephen yep. together. Uh, I believe it's been that successful. It's on display in the Saatchi Gallery in London, which in itself is a massive achievement. Everyone in the background, whoop, whoop. <laughs> It's a huge achievement, you know, to come <laughs> There was a warm rush blowing over himself, and you know to come from where you have to developing music to become a, a you know a top old school top hardcore jungle DJ. Um, you work full time as well mm -hmm. for a living. You are a plumber. So if you've ever recognised Paul from coming round and fixing your taps or your boiler. Not yes, now. it was not I'm boiler not taps. Oh, okay, <laughs> it was Pilgrim. <laughs> But you've, you've moved on and, and with your graffiti in your street art, you do some wonderful things with it. You've done some great work recently. You had a fantastic piece for Top Buzz, which I think is over in Telford, Telford yeah. Way. Um, in remembrance of Jason, and it looks wicked. Um, but to really sort of reinvent yourself and come through with something fresh like this, for me, I think it's brilliant. It's exciting. It's new. Um, it's a great book. It's giving you something to work on. Yeah. Um, Tell us a little bit more about the book. Yes. So, in, your, in your terms. I'll shut up for a minute. Okay, so this all came about because with my past in graffiti, stemming back to the late 80s, and I lost a lot of my old photos and outlines, I then, when Facebook came about, started up a, a group on there, 80s Art School Graffiti, uh, which at the moment has got about 19,800 members on it. But my so idea, that's a lot. there's a couple that's on a there, lot. Yeah. a few, um, and then the idea behind setting that up was to see if I could get people on that group who may possibly still have old pictures and I might come across my old work again. So that got set up over the years, that's grown and grown and that's got purely just like 80s graffiti in there, not from just this country. How many pictures have you been sent in total? I dread to think. Right. So, how many is in there? Is um, there 400 pages or something? There's there? 376 pages, so there's over 2,000 images in there. That's a lot of images, uh, man. It is. I mean, I had twice as much that I submitted, but if we'd have put more images in, we'd have either had to shrink down the size of the images, which makes it harder to really? look at. Yeah. Or we'd have had to basically double the size of the book, which would have doubled the cost. And to be honest, we have to make it affordable. So you wouldn't want to make some of these images smaller because it's with a lot of it. It's not just the main part of the artwork you look at. It's some of the background and some of the taggings in the backgrounds mm. and the things that are kind of almost hidden from the from your direct first. And when you look at them deeper, you see so much in the background that's going on with them and the yeah. little things. You're like, ah, shit. Look at that, and things that you wouldn't notice if it was smaller. So, I think you made the right decision to do it that way, mate. Definitely. Yeah. But with what I've got left over, I've now uh, I'm there currently working on the follow-up book at the moment, which Part is two. the Lost Years. So again, it's based on '80s UK graffiti, and it will pick up where this book left off. 
So that will be coming out later in the year. Uh, so look it is, a, it is available on pre-order at the moment. Can you tell everybody where, it, where it's available, where they can find you, or where so, they can follow you? Um, you can find the links for it on my pages, whether that's like my own personal page or on my DJ Pilgrim page. Or is it on Facebook? Pilgrim's Projects page, yeah, on Facebook. It's Pilgrim's Projects um, on Facebook. The main place, really, where you can get it is through, directly through the publishers, Morton, Morton's Books. It is available on Amazon as well, and it is available through eBay. Uh, on the Morton's page that they run on there. But, um, so the, yeah, this all came about because Steve works for Morton's and they put out a very similar book that was based on 80s BMXing and it was called We Are Rad. And what had happened is they decided that they wanted to do something, they wanted to keep the 80s theme and they wanted to do something about graffiti. Right. So. Retro is popular full stop at the moment, yeah. isn't it? So. so what happened is they sent a message into the group and because being admin of the group, I have to monitor everything because there's a lot of rubbish that gets posted yeah, course, that's not relevant. Yeah. Anyway, I saw this message uh, asking if there's anyone who wanted any, uh, if they had any images to share to get in touch. So I messaged the guy and explained what I did and who I was and he said basically you sound like the ideal candidate and went from there Perfect. so we started uh, talking we put a plan together got a design so the design the basis of this is <coughs> as most people may recognize the colors are from kodak because back in the 80s kodak film strip anyone who was taking pictures we were all using 110 disposable cameras and, and Kodak were basically the main people who made them. Pre-digital people, pre-digital. Yeah. Or Fuji. So, the next book is similar kind of style. So you've got the, the strip in the middle. Yep. But obviously the green and the silver and the black on the new book that's coming out, people will recognise that because it's the colour of the Fuji boxes. Right, cool. So, it's keeping the theme of pictures, 80s, relevant to so the book. Old, so cool from Morton Books. Yeah, get it. Uh, okay. Right, okay. Okay. So. So yeah, um, with the book, uh, the book itself it's split into sections. So because it covers the UK, you've got a section in there based on the north area of the country. You've got the south in there. You've got the Midlands. You've got the east, and you've got the west. But also as well in the book, I wanted to represent writers who are no longer with us who. Painted back then, and King Robbo, for example. Yeah, people like Robbo. Uh, there's a few people in there, and I suppose really just to make their memories last as well. Yeah. So and kind of immortalise their work. Yeah, and also there's a section in there that showcases a lot of the writers who painted back then who are still writing and haven't stopped. So it's Job. got work in there. People like Kem. Kent Vegas, you've got the likes of Score, you've got Kilo, um, there's many in there, um, but basically these are people who've been writing since back then, never stopped, and showing you what they're producing nowadays, so you can see the difference on the journey that they've took as well from what they used to do to the styles I that I suppose like now. with the DJ adapting and changing musical styles, yeah. artists that have the same influences come along and they've changed Yeah, because own. I mean, you know, Paints influenced a lot of people, techniques, also yeah. as well, I suppose, media's influenced people. Fashion, I guess, as well. Yeah. 
media as well because people see images that you know like these big advertising companies have made and people recreate them yeah so yeah totally so it's just showing where it came from and to where it is now and that'll be the same with this new book as well so we'll keep the same kind of theme whereby there's a lot of work out there that like i say i could probably fill these books three four five times over there's just so much out there because every area had its own graffiti artist yeah. or graffiti crew there's probably about five ten maybe more based on the bigger places music and the sort of and the way things clicked in different yeah. areas i mean well. it's it's weird as well that a lot of people who've followed the same kind of journey as myself they were originally into hip-hop when they left school they got into graffiti they then got into the rave scene there's so many people who i've spoken to who've had that same journey it's a good journey though yeah seems to have worked out all right for you yeah i've yeah. enjoyed it good i'm sure the people have enjoyed what you are i know for a fact that people enjoy what you do um so you performed for me since 1999 i think you played yeah. the first one as well as robbie did illusion yeah yeah the void um and you played for us ever since and there have been many different brands that we've, we've used and worked yeah. with so we've had a good personal journey as well yeah. we've done, done quite a few sets together over the years yeah definitely knocked about a bit all over the place <laughs> a few motorway trips yeah there's been a few um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. I'm gonna just gonna few quick questions. Just gonna run through them dead quick with the same questions as I've asked Robbie. And I'm gonna fire these at everybody. They're just quick. They're a bit of fun. Um, one answer. One only. Favorite DJ. Me. <laughs> Bush. Okay. Favorite DJ. Pilgrim. It's Pilgrim. Favorite MC. Me. Favorite food. Hold on. Favorite okay. DJ. Give me a DJ um, now. Yeah, Mickey Finn. Mickey Finn. Favourite MC. Come with it. Who? Come on, it's got to be somebody who you love hosting your sets. Uh, think way back. Uh, it be somebody that you think click bump. Um, I already, a, I had a guess earlier. I had a guess, a guess earlier who your answer would be for these for DJ and MC. I was, I was wrong with the DJ. <laughs> Um, Scarlet. Scarlet, that's exactly what I said. <laughs> that's what I said. I knew it'd say, say Scarlet. There was a few, and I was only yeah, annoying yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it's a difficult one, isn't it? It's a very difficult yeah. question for you. I think when I was on somebody in the podcast with me the other week, they went Ribs or Sharky, and the one answer, I'm like, fuck, you know, they're both like really good mates. It's like, you know, it's like, how the fuck do I had kind of that? Yeah. And I went with Ribsy just. Because he was there. I'd have to the agree with you there, because for me, Ribs as well. But yeah. Both very talented MCs with unique styles, but I had to go with Ribsy. Right, yeah. favourite food? Um, fast. <laughs> favourite food? Chicken. Uh, and Stacey Salmon. Favourite nationality of food? Oh, uh, Italian. Italian, okay. Favourite venue? Food. I'm going home. <laughs> Favourite venue? Uh, club wise. Uh, uh, Eclipse. Okay. Favourite event ever? Uh, Castle Donington Sunday, is it? Okay. Rum or vodka? Rum. <laughs> Hardcore or jungle? <sighs> jungle. You're going to say that. Craziest hairstyle you ever had? 
And we will be putting image with this. Um, I think I've had a few. I had one where I was blonde. I had dreadlocks. Dreadlocks, it's got a bit. I think the dreadlocks one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Alrighty. Um, um, what was your favourite year for rave music? One year. If you could pick any one year, what year would you say was the year? It's got to be 92. 92. There's so many big raves that happened. 92. 93. Yeah. Tribal Gathering. Robbie said 93. I thought that's what I was Fantasia. There was some monsters, weren't there? Yeah, yeah. Because I think he just really boomed then, so... It went nuts, mate. It was, yeah. It was off the hook. Unfortunately, I don't think we're ever going to see anything... Well, we won't see anything like it. It was a revolution in music in itself. Yeah. I think every sort of 10 years or 15 years, something comes in and hits big time, and our time was, was the rave scene. Um, yeah, and I think no matter how many times you try to recreate it, it will never be the same. Because yeah, things have changed so much. Still some good parties. There are yeah, some don't good parties. There are good parties, but they won't be what they were. And I've said this before as well, technology has killed a lot of it. it, it that's my own personal opinion. Yeah. Uh, I think if you take the cameras and the phones out of clubs again, I, yeah, it's not going to be the same, but I think it would sort of give it a feeling of you know, being there for the moment rather than being there to, to, to record the moment. I think the know? problem is nowadays that you know we live in a nation that, like, Everything's throw away, and that's why with the book I never went digital. It went back to like old school, something in your hand that you can hold, that you read and you look at. Problem with digital over the years, and I've seen it with music. One person gets it; it can be shared within minutes, yeah. and it's everywhere. Yeah. Where something like this, where it's in your hand, it's material, isn't it? Yeah. If you, you give that, you to can't, your friend, you can't duplicate it. No. You give that to your friend, you want it back because if you've paid good money for that, yeah. you want it back. Whereas if it's like it's easy to be copied with like yeah. with files, file sharing, and for me that was another reason why it was music nice. it just added to that. It's nice back in the day when the DJs would get a white label, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And they'd get a press or something out there to go out and play, something fresh for the crowds. Um, yeah, yeah, it still happens. It's digital, but everybody gets something. Yeah, copy. I mean, gets something in a pack. It's in. My early years of like DJing, I used to always be up, and a lot of people will know me from being in Red Red Records on the Friday afternoon or early yeah. Saturday morning. And I'd be up there because that's when all the white labels would come in, and I'd be in there listening to them, grabbing them fresh. And it was good to go home. You get white labels, you'd listen to them, you'd play them out, knowing that you were breaking that new material to people. Where did you get most of your new vinyl from? Your new releases? Or what shops did you use mainly? Any Ruby Reds. Ruby Reds. Yeah. Um, that was there until recently, wasn't it, I think? Was it a few years back? It's been gone a few years. I used to go to um, Pure in Birmingham. Yeah. That was Lenny's shop. Don, was it Don Christie's as well? Uh, Don Christie's, yeah. Tempest. Yeah, Tempest. Uh, I went down to London a couple of times. I went to MASH. Yeah. Uh, Zoom Records, Camden. I went to Eastern Block as well. So we used to go into um, Black Market Records on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. um, you'd usually have either Nicky or Ray being there on a Saturday and they'd be yeah. screaming the latest tunes. I think I went there once, but it was random. It's like there. a club. Yeah. You go in a Saturday and you, 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 it was packed. Yeah. Literally packed. It was, you were in like a daytime rave. 
Uh, and I miss that with, with, with the scene as well, the sort of, you know, the record shops being everywhere and that going in on a Saturday and picking up your flyers. That's the problem nowadays, there's, there's no real record shops out no, there. No hubs. No, it's like online and yeah. again, there's no personalisation. So, same with most businesses, banks and etc, etc. It's all yeah. the case where it's just all done online. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, for me as well, the way I looked at it with the rave scene, my journey, why it came to an end is that Anyone can be a DJ now. It's so easy to be a DJ. Mm. You know, you, you can basically put a few mixes together, put them out there online, on YouTube. You can be an instant hit. But you don't know how long it's took that person to do that mix. They could have took three weeks to put that mix because from the end result, you can't tell. You give that same person two, two vinyl records and two technical yeah. decks. And I had this conversation with Slipmat a few weeks back. Um, we was, we was, my opinion was that I don't think anybody's a DJ unless they can actually mix on two vinyl records mm. and a standard mixer. Yeah. Um, you know, it might clash yourself as a DJ if you can mix on, I'm not even familiar with all the modern formats, controllers, whatever. Um, but I think to really be able to clash yourself as a DJ, you've got to be able to mix vinyl. And that, yeah. that's just my opinion. Everyone's got an opinion. I mean, for me, I learned the hard way. So the real my way. initial journey into DJing so I had uh, what was it called it was a Tandy's mixer it was about Radio that Shack. big yeah. yeah no it wasn't even Radio Shack there were Tandy's and Radio Shack was one of them yeah. Yeah. so I had one of them I had a, a Citronic turntable which had pitch control yeah. my other turntable was one of those ones where it was just like you know like the separates that come with two speakers yeah. it was one of those like in a wooden box so there was no pitch control on that so, when I'm mixing, if I'm mixing that track into the one that's got pitch control, I'd be speeding it up with my the finger, and then as the soon as I've knocked it across, and then you can hear that track, I'd let go, and then you go to its normal speed. Back, back to where it started. But that was how I started, and that was hard work, because when I first started DJing, I didn't go straight on to techniques, I had to save up a lot of money to buy my techniques. But that goes on to, nowadays, you don't need techniques, you, you know, you got all these controllers, you don't need to know how to mix, you can press a sync button and it works out all the BPMs, you've just got to know your track and just know when to drop it in. It look like you're pressing a few buttons and do this a little bit. Well, the whole thing has changed because back then as well, to go to events, you have to be in the know, you have to know the right places to be. Nowadays, all that's gone. You don't have to be in the know about anything, you know, you don't have to go to a shop. You could go onto a forum where basically people are just giving out their music online because they want to be discovered. Yeah, they want somebody to hear it or listen yeah. to it. Yeah, so you could get a set full of music that, like, off your friends or off people who are swapping and there's, there's no exclusiveness you know, you know, you, anymore. You know you can pay to play these days? Me, jokingly, I said to Stace, this is going back... Probably 10, 15 years ago, we were just joking one day and I said, We should do a rave and do it as pay to play. So it's like, but well, obviously the promoter takes the risk, mm -hmm. you know, and you pay the artist. And we were just joking and we saying, We should do events where people, DJs can pay and they can come and play. It'd be great. You walk away with a load of money and you get the door. It'd be great. And you know, just as a joke. Yeah. And at the moment, there are there's packages and that out there where people can actually pay and go and play in certain clubs and you're paying to play. but to get your name out there. Mm. So I suppose if you are good, and you will get noticed by other promoters being put in that position, I suppose it could benefit them, but I find it a funny old world yeah. where something that 
we joked about it a good few years about people are actually doing it. We we said it in like a funny funny kind of way, and it's not it's happening. We're like, why, why didn't we actually do that? You know, we could have done a right out of that. <laughs> it's the way you sound like to say everyone wants to. You know, everyone wants that next break. Everyone yeah. wants to be the next discoverer. Of course, they do. But um, the thing is, there's so many people trying to do it with yeah. social media that it's it's just it's crazy. But that's it for me. I've been there, done it. Done it. Time to move on. Okay. This is where I'm at now. It's someone else. Will we ever see you on the decks again? Uh, no. Okay. We'll see. Paul. Well, thank you for your time. Oh, thank you. As always, mate. Absolute gentleman. Enjoyed it. Pleasure to see you. Thank you for doing the graph out of the back You're today. Welcome. Again, second piece you've done for us down here. If you need any graffiti doing, contact Paul. Pilgrim's Projects. Um, he's rather excellent, as he is as a DJ and a top guy all round. Thank you for your time. History of Hardcore Podcast Part 3. God bless. Thank you. And yes, Pilgrim, when you're ready. Wave your hands in the air. Face man's out there. Bitch, body for me, don't hit.